Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis and joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And we're now into our fall indoor hardcourt season, Mike. 2022 is winding down and we've seen Novak Djokovic making a statement with a pair of titles already. And on the women's side, we've seen some continued strong play from uh, Barbara Krejcikova who beats world number one Iga Fiontek for the title in Ostrava. And the Canadian Billie Jean King Cup squad is named with a very, very strong field. Maybe the strongest field that Canada's ever put into the women's international competition. Yeah, certainly. Um, so much content for this episode. Uh, leading with, though, an exciting interview with Canadian tennis player Vashik Pospisil, who's just coming off a challenger final in France and starting to play some great, great tennis again. And uh, if we're talking about international tennis as well, Vashik is a name that always comes to mind. I feel like he should be called Captain Canada because he almost <laughs> always answers the bell, whether it's ATP Cup or Davis Cup. Uh, I feel like he's kind of assuming the role of uh, Daniel Nestor, although he's got many more ties to even get close to Nestor's record. But uh, I feel like he's taken over that sort of uh, father figure presence on the squad, being the elder statesman and uh, and and a great role model for both Felix and Dennis, as well as our other young up and comers like uh, Alexi Gallarno just to watch the way that he practices, watch the way that he conducts himself and and what he's doing right now, which is going back down to the challenger level in order to get those ranking points, uh, even though there aren't many in those events, but doing the hard work, putting in the miles to get back to um, you know where he thinks his game can be. Yeah, he's certainly just uh, one of those consummate professionals, one of our favorites on the podcast. Uh, so, so happy to have him back. Here is our interview with Canadian tennis player Vashik Pospisil. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. Happy to be welcomed by a Wimbledon Grand Slam champion in doubles and quarterfinalist in singles. He's a three-time ATP singles finalist. He's one of Canada's most reliable players in international competition, and he's been ranked as high as number 25 in the world. So happy to have Vashik Pospisil back on the podcast. Vashik, uh, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me back on the show. It's uh, always always fun uh, speaking with you. You're one yeah, of our we... most requested players, uh, not just Canadian players, by the way. So uh, thanks for doing I this once believe... once again. <laughs> uh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it, it's it's great to chat with you again. And just, uh, I, I suppose, speaking on a whole of the 2022 season, which is winding down, it feels like it's been a lot busier for you later in the season. Just how have you been feeling physically mentally on the court and and just where your game is at obviously some some great results recently including a a finals run at a challenger in france yeah it's been a bit of a roller coaster season to say the least uh i mean uh you know started the year with without a coach um and not you know in a great ranking position where i wanted to be i had a great start to the year uh i was working really hard obviously you know by myself and making sure i was doing everything i needed to do was having great results and then um about simultaneously when i found a new coach i'd i'd also uh, hurt my elbow so it's just kind of a yeah didn't, didn't play for four months and then coming back um you know it was not easy to get momentum i was having a lot of you know, early round losses, elbow was still kind of bugging me coming back and then, you know, a little, some tough times, but, but 
but that's just how it goes. It's a sport, especially coming back from injury. Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to get momentum. And, and uh, now I feel like, you know, the last couple months, uh, I've been playing great tennis again and in the last three weeks, uh, having some great results as well. It seems to me like every time you represent Canada, it's like a big shot in the arm for you, a big, a big boost. And so I got to ask you about the recent Davis Cup play. And uh, you've kind of seemingly assumed the role of, of Captain Canada, if you don't mind me labeling you with that over the years and maybe taking the torch from Danny Nestor in, in that regard. But, you know, this fall, you had big singles wins and doubles wins against Korea, big doubles win as well against Spain. We've got a question from one of our listeners that I was going to mm-hmm. save till later, but it's so topical. And so I'm going to use it right now and uh, and I'll read it verbatim. So here it goes. This is from okay. Ryan, Ryan on Twitter. And he says, how do you go from unassuming Clark Kent on the ATP tour to Superman playing for Canada? Does the team <laughs> format in some degree help fuel your success? Oh boy. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> I think so. I think, I think that's how he intended it. Yeah, I, yeah. I will. I will take that as a compliment because obviously playing for Canada means a lot to me and, and I'm, I'm glad that I've, over the years, I've, I've you know tend to to bring out some of my best tennis uh, representing uh, their country, and uh, I think you know this time around. I mean, I'll just put it this way. I mean, in general, playing playing Davis Cup uh, always brings out the best in me. I think it's I'm 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 a guy that that plays better off of emotion and adrenaline, and um, so I feel like when there's a little bit more on the line, or if you're playing for your country or team, um, you know it it just yeah, I mean, it, it brings the the best out of me. And then obviously, you know, current form is always a factor, even even going into to Davis Cup events. I mean, I've, I've had some Davis Cup ties where I hadn't played well and just wasn't really in form and um, still maybe played better than I than I than my results on the tour around that time. But uh, because I always tend to play a little bit better when I'm playing Davis Cup. But I think this time around was was. Um, you know, I started playing some good tennis. Also, leading up, leading into that, I, I, I finally uh, kind of got got a little hot, made a little run, and you know, in Van Open, and uh, played well at, at, in New York. Had had some physical issues there, actually, the the second match. So, um, but you know, so timing wise, it was good. But I will say that that playing for your team, playing for your country, um, yeah, just doesn't always bring the best out of you know everyone but but uh, there's you know some players that it affects positively and others that that uh it doesn't and, and i'm i fall into the category of of you know one of those guys that that tends to just play better when when um representing their country yeah clearly uh how has your role on the squad evolved over the many years you've represented canada internationally i mean if i called you the team dad would i would i be far off in that sense <laughs> these days and uh, and what are the expectations moving forward for this group into the finals here? Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if I would go as far as saying team dad. I think, I think, um, Big you brother. know, obviously as you get old, yeah. I mean, you know, I think we have we have great team chemistry. I mean, that's the first and foremost. Um, you know, it's it's really important that um, you know there aren't any like internal issues among players, and you know, you you think that would never be the case, but I mean, we hear that you know, obviously with, with other teams and um, that is definitely a factor. And, and um, you know, we, we, we don't have that issue. And, and I think for me, as I've kind of gotten older, obviously naturally, um, you know, I guess I'm considered one of the more experienced players on the team now. And, um, and so 
I mean, my role is just, you know, I, I, I go into each Davis Cup tie with the same mentality, which is just, uh, you know, I, I consider myself a team player. I'm always there for the team first and, and whatever, uh, whatever capacity and try to help as much as I can. But, but at the end of the day, I go there and I try to play the best I can. And, and, um, you know, I don't really know, uh, what other impact that might leave on players on the team or not. They don't tell me, maybe it's a good question for them, but, but definitely I'm getting older, but I still have, um, some great years ahead. And, and, um, you know, I think, uh, the team dad right now is, is Frank, uh, as the, as the captain, he's the dad. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, uh, I spoke with Gabriel Diallo, um, the other month and he talked about both yours and Felix Ojeali, um, your professionalism and your approach. You mentioned how you guys, uh, were, were just incredibly serious and locked in with having a big physical warm up. Um, have you always had that that approach to to your career in, in terms of you know being very structured and and disciplined, or is that something uh, I guess that takes a, a little time to learn as you navigate the tour? Um, a bit of both. <clears throat> I mean, a bit of both. Uh, I would say I've I've always I've always been very good at how would I put this like a, a good soldier, you know, very good mm -hmm. at taking taking orders or very good at following a a, um, a plan. So very disciplined, absolutely. But but you do need, you know, at least I think everyone does to some extent, but especially, um, you know, you, you do need a team around you. I think that helps a lot, right? If you have your coach and you have your fitness trainer, and I think that's where, you know, on the days when it gets tough, um, there's, you know, that they, they, they pushes you that extra mile to, to, to make sure you do everything you need to. I think I've always been quite good at that, to be honest, but but even growing up, I mean, even being a younger professional, it's, I think it was, you know, I wasn't always, I wasn't like that when I was younger. Um, I mean, I'll rephrase it. I, 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 would, I, would, I always had that quality as, as a person, but I didn't really know any better when I was younger. I think when I was, you know, started being exposed to uh, high level coaches, uh, it really opened my eyes as well. And then I became more disciplined not because I didn't have that in me before, but I didn't really even know what it took and what you needed to do and all the things you needed to do to maximize, you know, your output, right. Of your energy and, and, and get results on the court. So I was, so I guess that's why it's a little bit of both. I think, um, you know, as I'm very conscientious as a person, I'm very hardworking. So I've, I'm, you know, disciplined as well. And I think you need, you need to be to, to some degree. I mean, there are some exceptions, but, but the general rule of thumb for sure is you, you have to be, you know, very hardworking, disciplined, and uh, make sure you 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 are a professional. Um, you know, twenty four seven, unless you're on vacation. Yeah, uh, someone who uh, I think goes synonymous with the word discipline. You, you shared the court with him, and I know you two are good friends off the court. Uh, you had a great match uh, with Novak Djokovic a couple of weeks ago in in Israel in the quarterfinals. I, I felt like your level was really high despite the loss, and. Um, I'm just wondering if you get a chance to share the court against a, a Novak or a Rafa, Roger, is that like almost a measuring stick sometimes? And and did you learn anything about your level uh, from that match? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, every time you, anytime you play a top ranked guy, it's a, it's, it's a measuring stick and obviously even more so when you're playing uh, one of the three, you know, greats uh, amongst, you know, Novak, Rafa and, and Roger. But um it was very, it was a very positive week for me because I, I mean, I've been putting in so much work and, and feel like I, I felt like I was playing good tennis uh, the last few months, getting momentum. 
And, um, and yeah, the last couple of weeks, and obviously, especially in Tel Aviv, I was playing a really, really high level, um, played a great match against Novak. Uh, you know, I felt like it was quite competitive. And it's always tough because he is, I mean, he is a really good friend of mine. And, and so I, I had to kind of battle the, the fact that, A, he's a, he's a good buddy, and, and, and B, he's, he's, you know, one of the most feared players in the history of our sport. And I had to, you know, turn all that into going out there and trying to win, believing I can win, right? Which, which I managed to do, which isn't always the case. And I think it's just testament also to, you know, the fact that I've been playing better and worked really hard. And, and I wanted to win that match. And I think, I think, the, you know, the, the tennis showed it. And, and uh, obviously, he, you know, he's super gracious and, and said some really nice things to me after the match, which obviously gave me a lot of confidence as well. And, and um, I do feel like um, the last three weeks, especially, I've been playing, um, you know, really high level tennis closer to, um, you know, where I how I played when I was, you know, deep in the top 50 or having great results on tour, which which, you know, gives me hope. And I feel like um, my goal is still attainable, even though I'm 32. I feel like I can really get back up to um, where I feel like I belong. Spoke about. Novak and and touched on the big three there at the beginning of your answer. You've played all three of those guys, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, many times before. Which of the three of them gives you personally your game, whatever it is, the the most trouble? Who of the three? And I'm not getting into the goat debate, but who of the three yeah. for Vashik Pospisil is is the toughest one when you're staring at him across the net, and and why? Yeah, I mean the 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 toughest one for me was definitely uh, Novak. I mean you know also if you take into consideration the the game the matchups uh you know game style matchups i mean for, for him being one of the best i mean the best returner of all time for sure um and the serve being one of my strengths um you know it just makes it a, a big challenge um where i felt like it, he was the hardest guy for me to to implement a, a game style or, or or my game style on right so i really um he's just so incredible at neutralizing big, 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 big shots and big swings and making points long. So for me, every time I played Novak, it, it was, it's, um, you know, he's definitely the, the toughest opponent uh, for me between those. Cause you know, even the few, few times I played Roger, I was actually two points away from beating him in Basel one year and up a break in the third. And um, obviously I, you know, he's insane talent, but, but I, I had a, <clears throat> I could, do something with, you know, like a survey this backhand. If he'd slice, then I'd hit a big forehand and come in. And there's stuff that I could actually do with Novak. I felt like, um, you know, it, it, he doesn't give you anything. So it's just pretty tough. I don't think that Basel tournament allowed anybody to beat Roger anyway. So I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. get uh, too hard there looking at his yeah. numbers over the year. Um, just a quick thought on, on him, on Roger deciding, um, unfortunately due to his knee and, and being able to, you know, not being able to return to, to competing and grinding it out uh, week in and week out, unfortunately that it's time to hang up the racket. Did you watch his final match? Did you have an eye at all on the, uh, the Laver cup and, and just your thoughts on, on, uh, you know, him, uh, moving on in terms of his, uh, his tennis career. Yeah, I, I did. I did watch that. I think, uh, as I'm sure as most people around the world that were awake, um, you know, or, or able to watch probably did. And uh, yeah, I mean, I felt like it was the perfect, you know, maybe if they had won that that match, the match point that would have been made it a little bit more perfect. But but I, I you know, I just feel like it was the perfect retirement. Um, 
just the emotions that that I feel like everyone was feeling there on the court and in the stadium and watching television. It's uh, pretty surreal and I think very, um, you know, if there's anyone that's going to have a retirement like that, you, you know, it's, it's gotta be Roger. Right. So, um, and, and obviously he's, you know, with his knee and I mean, he's, he's getting to the age where it's not a surprise that, that the body's going to, going to struggle or break down to, to keep going. I mean, he's, he's, uh, was even so the fact he was able to win grand slams and, and play at such a high level late in his thirties is, is incredible. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's a big loss for tennis. You know, everyone is, is like inevitable. Everyone was ready for it and expecting it to happen sooner or later, but, but, um, it still was a, a big, a big one to swallow for, for the whole tennis world. I think. I don't know about you guys, Ben, I, I got some like tears in my, you know, I almost got a little <laughs> emotional watching oh, yeah. Roger yeah, I think and Rafa and Novak. I, I think, I think almost everyone. And, and I mean, Roger for me, when I was growing up, I mean, he was, he was always my idol, right? I mean, when I was young, I was I was so invested in all of his matches. Like, I mean, he'd be playing on TV, I'd be just going nuts. Like, I, it was you know, whenever he's playing Rafa, it was like I was, uh, I was I considered myself at the time the number one Roger fan, right? Which I'm sure fifty million other people did as well. <laughs> but but um, so yeah, it was it's it was pretty pretty crazy to to see him go and um because you know that's there's never been tennis without roger in my i mean for me right personally so even just growing up and, and even throughout my whole professional career now it's gonna be the you know it's uh first time watching tennis or being around tennis without federer um uh, still still competing yeah and i i think a lot of us um that that's the case for a lot of tennis fans and and also tennis players on on the circuit obviously you're feeling a change in in the landscape of the atp we have a brand new world number one and and carlos alcaraz obviously novak and rafa still there and and winning slams but just as a a player yourself seeing seeing new uh new faces in a new generation do you feel like that that shift on tour are you are you noticing like a a change um just in in the circuit yeah definitely i mean it's of uh, especially the last you know 12 months or so um i think i think everyone can feel it um you know and especially as well now you know roger retiring and you know rafa's um, you know, been talking about, you know, about his body not holding up, and and obviously Novak is, is one of the guys that says he's still, you know, he's still good to go for for a while, and he's playing like it too, and so is Rafa. I mean, but now with all these young guys, for sure, it does feel like uh, that there's like a generational, you know, the next generations here, kind of. That's kind of how how it, how it feels like uh, the next era of tennis in some ways is is, mm-hmm. is coming. Um, so definitely, I'm feeling that absolutely. Uh, we should just move on to a couple other listener questions that we had, and we know you've been very involved in uh, the PTPA in the past, and I think we had a question about that from one listener, uh, Dean. He asked, "What will it take for the ATP and the WTA to become a single association? Do you see this as a possibility in the future?" Um, yeah, I, I guess it depends on the context in which he, that, that question is phrased. If it's in the context of, um, you know, if it's PTPA context of, of men and women joining one player association, or if he means it 
um, you know, as the two tours, the, the tennis events joining. But uh, I think, you know, both both are a possibility. I, I would say uh, the PTPA, I would consider that a probability. I think that's, you know, quite probable that that the men and women will, will you know, hopefully all join uh, the, the Player Association, which um, is up and running and um, making very big steps on the back end. And I, I, I do think that, um, you know, in, in, in the near future, um, we'll succeed in, in, in unifying all the players on tour. And I think that will be a huge change for tennis for the better um, as it, as it's done for, for, you know, all, all other sports that have been, that have, you know, had player successful uh, player associations uh, created. And, um, and there, it's very, there are a lot of complexities to, to that, to the reasoning to that, which, which is not, not the question. So I won't get into that and it would take a very long time to, <laughs> to explain all the benefits, but, but I do think it'll be um, a game changer for the sport and um, the players in general. And I think it's uh, something that's, long overdue i think anyone who wants to get your uh, opinion on that a little bit in, in more in depth can go back and look at previous vashik pospisil appearances on matchpoint canada where you you know quite clearly explained what you guys are trying to do so uh definitely would recommend that for anyone wanting to hear more um we got one more listener question and it's not a tough one uh but it's a it's a good one adam from twitter cool. is asking uh what your goals for the upcoming season uh, which you know really isn't too far away when you think about the off season in tennis but 2023 what does that hold uh, in store for you for goals? All right, that's an easy question. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny. The last, you know, a couple of years uh, when I get this question, I always answer it with a, you know, definitive, like a very defined uh, number in mind or ranking or something. Although I always connect to the process because that, at the end of the day, is is the most important thing. Is you try to get better and the results take take care of themselves. But, but honestly, I, I would say at this point. Um, and this is the first time I'm, I'm, I've answered this question this way is I want to try, I want to be healthy for 12 months. Um, that, I mean, it's, again, it's not something that's totally in your control, uh, but that will be my, my big focus um, this upcoming year. As I get older, of course, one of the reasons, the second reason is I've, you know, been obviously struggling with a lot of injuries and, and, um, and I feel like I'm playing a high enough of a level that if I stay healthy for 12 months and I'm able to, to keep putting in the work the right way, um, that the results will take care of themselves. And I think the ranking will then, you know, reflect, reflect that. And, um, if we're going to put a number on it, then, then I, I, I would like, definitely like to be back in the top 50. Um, but I do believe I can be higher as well. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but the priority for sure is, is to, um, stay healthy. Well, we always refer to you as a top 50 talent when we talk about you on the podcast and uh, wishing you all the health to finish off this season. Start the next one, although I'm sure we'll talk to you at some point, uh, perhaps in between. And, uh, you know, you're, you're top 10 in our in our guest list here for sure, always. So come back anytime. <laughs> and um, thanks so much, Vashik, for uh, popping in again today. Uh, thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And there you have it, our conversation with Vashik Pospisil, who's been maybe one of our most generous guests over the years at Matchpoint Canada. I, I'm trying to think of how many appearances this is now. I was going to say, um, I almost want to say like the nicest guest we have, but then I think, you know what? All the Canadian athletes that we have Everybody's are nice. super nice. I don't know if it's the stereotype, you know, <laughs> the nice, the polite Canadians, maybe, but they're always nice to us. But what I would say is like, 
maybe he's the most comfortable when we're chatting with him. I feel like he's really, it's just like chatting with some guy at, at, at a pub or a coffee house or something like that. Like he just seems so comfortable and easygoing and he's definitely getting up there in terms of overall appearances on match point Canada. I think probably only Layla Annie Fernandez amongst the Canadians has probably talked to us more. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. Uh, Bianca, it's been a few times, but not as many as Vashik. And uh, as we know, he still has big goals in this sport. And I should mention with the great result that he did have at this challenger last week, reaching the finals, he's now moved uh, up to 122 in the rankings. So certainly top 100 is uh, within within reach, I, I think, sooner rather than later with the tennis he's playing. And uh, he's going to play, again, I think, a pivotal role for for Canada as they continue their effort at, at Davis Cup Finals in November. Yeah, I want to say, like, he's he's the anchor because he's counted on in both singles and doubles. And he is our strongest doubles player on the men's side, for sure, I would, I would argue. Um, not just because of past accomplishments in doubles, but uh, he, he feels at ease there. And and he's always playing with different partners. It could be Dennis at, you know, one event. It could be Felix at another international event. But he's always the constant when he's there. He's always in that doubles slot. And I think at the age of 32, he's still got lots of time ahead of him. I see him getting back into the top 100. Um, I mean, look, he's going, you know, and playing these challenger events. But also recently, you know, in Tel Aviv, he took Djokovic to a first set tie break, which is just about as what anyone, anyone can expect against Novak, the way he's playing these days. Yeah, and uh, I mean, that's a perfect transition point to uh, ATP tennis and what we've seen the past couple of weeks from Novak Djokovic. I'm so often used to teeing up Novak Djokovic and saying world number one Novak Djokovic. That is not the case right now. We know what's transpired with his season, uh, missing two of the four Grand Slams. So it's a number seven next to his name, but he's certainly playing uh, tennis of the quality of a world number one and winning consecutive titles at the Tel Aviv Open and then the Astana Open in Kazakhstan. Tel Aviv, you might look at and say, well, it's an ATP 250. The competition wasn't as strong, of course, wins over Andujar and uh, Roman Safalin there. He beat Chilich in the final. Um, but the field in Kazakhstan in Astana was stacked. We had Medvedev, Tsitsipas, um, some big time players. Rublev was in the mix there. And, uh, you know, we saw clinical Djokovic once again. Um, great couple early round wins, beating Bodic van de Zanskalp in straight sets. He beats Hachinov in straight sets. An amazing semifinal with Medvedev, which I think we were all so disappointed if you were watching this one. Medvedev won the first set against Novak 6 uh, 6-4, was playing lights out tennis. Djokovic dug in deep, pushes that second set to a tie break. They're trading um, epic, epic rallies and Djokovic finds his way through eight to six in the second set tie break. And then suddenly Medvedev stops the match and apparently had some issue with his adductor muscle. So we were robbed of what I think, you know, could have been a, a great finish. Although if Medvedev was physically compromised, maybe not. And then Djokovic simply rolled Stefano Tsitsipas in the final 6-3, 6-4. So it's evident right now to me, like <laughs> hard courts, indoor surface, already how good Novak is. I, I mean, when he's playing his peak tennis, who is there Who is there really to stop him? Yeah, and Novak has an axe to grind. Let's not, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> fool ourselves. I mean, he is, you know, he's he's perturbed by what he went through this year and he's got something to prove. And look, I feel like it's all his own doing. And yet, you know, for the sake of tennis, we need this guy around. And, and yeah. I feel like even though Alcaraz has the number one next to his name and totally justified and warranted for this year, 
to me, if I'm picking one tennis player in men's tennis in a, in a fantasy tennis pool or something like that, Novak's the guy I'm taking because if he's entered in the events, I feel like he's the one who's going to come away with those titles more often than not. And, you know, the distractions are behind him, hopefully at this point. Uh, I mean, I'm ready to move on and, and forgive his poor decisions during the pandemic or at least say, you know, we're not going to hang on to that forever. So I'm ready to move forward. The sport uh, hopefully is, is ready to move forward with him in it. I hope he can play at the Aussie Open in January. I, I want to see the best players on the court. I want to see a healthy Nadal. I want to see a Djokovic mm-hmm. who's, you know, allowed to compete. And, um, you know, when you look at the fewest number of tournaments in 2022 in the top 100 on the men's side, Djokovic is second with only played 13 tournaments. Uh, you want to take a guess at who's number one? With uh, fewest tournaments played? Fewest tournaments played in the top 100 on the men's tour. Oh boy. Um, he's also in the top 10. <laughs> Rafa? Rafa oh. with with only 11 tournaments. Wow, well I was going to say for a second maybe Zverev because he uh, got injured as well, but uh yeah, you think of how much time Rafa has has also missed really. So, so we want to see these guys. We want to see them out there and and Djokovic looks like he hasn't missed a beat. I mean, just because he hasn't been playing events, you know he's been practicing and probably really hard. A lot of practice sets, I would imagine, because mm. he doesn't look rusty uh, by any stretch. No, and he looks, you know, sometimes there there can be the one benefit of having a little time off is how physically fresh he looks right now as well. I mean, he essentially missed his entire, he missed his entire summer hardcourt season, if you think about it. Didn't have the opportunity, obviously, to play Montreal, can play Cincinnati. A couple of tournaments he's done well at in the past, particularly Cincinnati's played well, and of course, missing the U.S. Open. So as you said, like, Novak to miss that big of a chunk of the season at this stretch. Now he wants to play like anything he can play anything and everything. And he wants to win anything and everything he possibly can. And I will say, um, you know, optics wise for people who were disappointed in some of his decisions, um, you know, the last couple of years related to COVID, he did receive rousing ovations and a lot of crowd support in both Israel and Kazakhstan. So he he is getting that fan support internationally in these countries. Um, they're happy to see him play. And of course, you're, you're seeing a high profile superstar come to your small event. It's It's a big deal. I should also just correct myself. That's number of tournaments played over the past 12 months. Okay. Okay. That makes so that makes more Zverev, sense. Zverev has twenty if you look at his last twelve months of play. Right. Right. Um, right. I misspoke <clears throat> and said twenty twenty two. So there you go. No, okay. Twelve months. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously Rafa missed the six months. Uh, the at tail end of twenty twenty one. So that makes sense, of course. Um, another big ATP five hundred just this past week over in Japan. Uh, Taylor Fritz winning uh that title in Tokyo, and with it he defeated Francis Tiafo in the finals. Nice victory, and now he is in the top 10 for the first time in his career and nice to see Fritz bounce back I think because our expectations I remember going into that U.S. Open were pretty high he crashed out early in that event shocking kind of first round loss but all in all you look at the season he's had winning um, Indian Wells which was incredible and now coming away with the title in Japan at ATP 500 um, he seems to be the most reliable American player, I, I think, of any of them. The other one you could argue is the guy he played in the final in Francis Tiafo. But in terms of like a steady season throughout, I think Fritz is the guy. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he's cracking the top 10. It seemed inevitable the way he was 
playing this year that he would eventually get there. Mm-hmm. And I think the confidence and self-belief that he believes now that he's a top, you know, level tennis player on the men's tour. And look, it's been a long time since there's been a top men's singles player from the United States. I go back to, and, you know, no disrespect to a John Isner or, or you know, but to me, Andy Roddick was the last one that I thought, hey, here's a guy who could be a contender at, at the slams. And he was a contender at the yes. slams perennially on hard courts at Wimbledon every year. If not for Roger Federer, he would have had, you know, at least a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Fritz, I believe, is going to be in that Grand Slam, you know, not the 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 one like top level, but like the one A category with the way yeah. that he's been playing, despite his poor showing in New York. Um, but but to me, if you're an American tennis fan, you must be thrilled to see him there because on the women's side, there's so much depth and you've got so many potential top 10, top 20 women uh, from the USA. On the men's side, not so much. There's also a lot of names now in the top 50 American names that are that are new on the scene or newish on the scene at that level. You know, Tommy Paul, Max Cressy, Jensen Brooksby, uh, Brendan Nakashima more yep, recently. Big one. And then you still got the serve bots. Isner and Opelka are still in there, the self-pronounced serve bots. But mm-hmm. it's an exciting time, I feel like, for American tennis. The men's side is uh, seemingly starting to catch up to the women's side where the depth has been there consistently for the last, well, forever, I feel like. Um and so it's a country that I'd say is is on the rise uh, with with their you know players under the age of thirty right now. Yeah, and you look right now with their top guns, seeing a lot of parallels actually with with the United States and Canada for the top guys. Fritz being uh, getting inside that top ten, Francis Tiafo up to a career high number seventeen, and you look right now, uh, I believe Felix Ojeda seems sitting 13, 13. 12-ish. and De- and yeah, Denis Shapovalov is twentieth right now. So that's that's pretty similar. Of course, we've seen both Dennis. And Felix inside the top 10. Um, certainly, I think Felix, that's where he belongs. For Denis Shapovalov, work to do, but he's been putting in the work the past couple of weeks and, and finally posting the type the type of results we feel he's capable of at the Korea Open in Seoul. He makes the finals before losing to Yoshihito Nishioka. I thought he played really good tennis all week, especially that semifinal win over another American Jensen Brooksby. Uh, then in Japan, some solid wins, beating uh, Steve Johnson first round, great victory over Borna Chorich in the quarterfinals before he loses to the titleist Taylor Fritz in a tough three-setter, 6-3, 6-7, 6-3. So, it's been a while since I've said Denis Shapovalov and his game is trending up. Yeah, and you know, just one point I want to make here about um, you know the Canadian depth versus the American depth is yeah, we've got Shapo, we've got Felix, but that's all we got in the top 100, right? Yes. Like Milos is not around. Vashik is still fighting to get there, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, we got those two guys, and don't get me wrong, I take our two guys over any of their top guy i mean this is probably my canadian bias coming through but i would i would take them but <laughs> yeah. then they've got so much more depth in that you know 30 to 50 range that yes. we just we just don't have and you know what look they're a country that is 10 times the population of canada mm-hmm. and more known as a tennis nation than we have been up until the past 10 years so it's not surprising, but it's it's not like quite a parallel in my mind between the two. No, that's that's completely fair. And uh, I still I mean, ob- obviously, we keep expectations tempered, but high for some of our, our young guns who are upcoming, like your Gabriel Diallo's, who did have the opportunity to be there with Davis Cup. Alexi Gallarneau, who's still in the early stage of his stages of his career after finishing college, upcomers like Liam Draxel, all these types of players uh, who have these professional aspirations. We know how hard it is to, to get inside that top 100 and, and do better than that. Um, but these guys are really driven right now. 
Yeah, and just to add to what you said about Chapo, I mean, let's give credit where credit's due. This is the best he's looked since early in the season. 100%. Um, since, you know, possibly the ATP Cup or... Uh, Australian Aussie Open, Open, maybe? The, the start yeah. of the year, right? Since the start of the year, and then he had that win over Nadal in May in uh, Rome, and then it was all downhill since there. So, yes, he's playing better, but then at the same point, and I'm not trying to find the negative here, I'm just trying to say, like, you look at the draws in these two tournaments he's played recently... If he's not getting to the semis or the finals, I'm sorry, there's something wrong. If you want to be a top 20 guy, you should be beating those players. You should be getting to the end. I mean, he hasn't beaten a higher-ranked opponent this year since Nadal, which was back in May. And the yeah. only other opponent he's beat this year that was higher-ranked than him was Zverev at the Aussie Open. He's not showing that he can do it against the best. And, and at many points this year, he's not been able to do it against the guys that he should be beating. So good that he's taken some positive steps here, but I still think we need to see a lot more from Chapo to prove that he belongs in the top 20 of the game. Yeah, the one the one key step I think I did see, especially just this past week in Japan, is his first couple of matches, not only winning, but the way he won, he didn't face a single break point on serve against Steve Johnson or a Noguchi of Japan. Obviously, he was a huge favorite to win that match. But a couple of these matches where I felt like even earlier on the season a couple wins he had were these like gutting out these like long tough three setters where you're like man why can't you just kind of roll this guy who you're obviously more talented than you have the stronger ranking uh some experience uh behind you so we're seeing a couple more confident wins like beating albot six two six two i like the win over borna george too to win that fourth four and three obviously george played super well this summer winning, winning cincinnati yes. so that to me is probably the standout win. I thought he had a great chance to maybe get a title in Korea too. Uh, Nishioka did play an awesome match though. So you're right. We got to see more, um, but trending in the right direction. And he still has more tournaments to play here. Uh, but before the 2022 season is out and, and salvage this year, really. Yeah. And uh, maybe we should transition over to the women's side now and look at uh, Barbara Krejcikova, who's, who's back with the win, who's back with the tournament. And uh and, and look at her. I mean, she won the French Open in 2021, although to me that feels like so long ago. I don't know why that seems like it was such a long time ago because she hasn't been able to, you know, reproduce that consistently and has had a kind of a tough 2022, although if memory serves correctly, missed some time as, as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but here she is. I mean, a win against Ies Fiontech, there's only so many players who can claim to have any of those this season, the way that the world number one is played and, and just distanced herself from the rest of the field. So that's Super impressive. Yeah, look, um, she's notched some really high-level wins over the past couple of weeks. If we're talking about Ostrava beating Iga, um, that third set in particular, the match overall, I mean, she wins at 5-7-7-6-6-3. This match took over three hours. Absolute thriller. I believe she needed six match points in total to finish off Sriantek as she was trying to serve it out. Like These are the was... finals you want eh? as a tennis 100%. fan. 100%. You, you, this is the best case scenario as a final like this one. Well, picture that as like a French Open final too, right? So the two players who are amazing on clay. We know like Iga is incredible anywhere she plays these days. And uh, Krychikova is capable of that level of tennis. She's, she's shown it in the past. So for her to take out the world number one, the way she did it with Iga fighting so hard at the end, uh, she beat Rybakin, 
Rabakina in a great three-setter in the semifinals, our, our Wimbledon champion. And the previous week in Tallinn um, had some... What a, what a group of players she beat there, too. Um, right? Amazing players. I mean, Tom Janovic, who looked incredible at the U.S. Open. Beatrice Haddad-Maya, uh, our Toronto fans know how great she is. She beat her there. Benchich in the semis. And then Contivate, who's an indoor hardcore beast, beat her 6-2, 6-3 in the finals there. So back-to-back titles for Krajcikova. And... I, I mean, there's elements of the women's tour that I love for its unpredictability because at, at any time you can get this sudden surge from a player that we've almost unfairly forgotten about how great they can play. And Krychikov is just not a name that had been on my radar for yeah probably a year. And then you're like, well, sh- she's a, a Grand Slam champion and she's been a phenomenal doubles player and world number one in doubles in the past. Like she, she's the full package. And I think sh- if she finds her game, she'll be back in the top 10. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for her to get points next year, given that she missed some time this year as well. Yeah, and I'm always impressed by those players who can rock it in both singles and doubles. She obviously was a mm-hmm. recent slam winner at uh, the U.S. Open in New York in doubles. And just what an overall accomplished player, I mean, in terms of completeness to the game and and willingness to compete in both of those venues, which is not easy to, you know, tournament in, tournament out, be playing both singles and doubles. Um, although, I mean, I guess if I thought about it, you know, the extra money is kind of a nice you know, incentive <laughs> Too, yeah. if you can, you know, pad the bank account while you oh, can. Oh, and I mean, physically, physically hold up to play both is a challenge too, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, good work for her. I want to also mention 21-year-old American uh, Alicia Parks, who beat mm-hmm. um, Pliskova and Zachary and went all the way from qualies to the quarterfinals of this event. Uh, she's up in the top 100. She's six foot one, has one of the biggest serves in the women's game uh, by far. She registered, I think, one of the if not the top speed serve earlier this year at a tournament somewhere, I forget which one it was, maybe a slam in qualies. Um, so I think this is a player to really keep an eye on and one who seems to be ready to take that next step. Um, you always like to see those players who have been, you know, grinding it out through qualies or playing the challenger level tournaments or futures tournaments, ITF tournaments. And this to me was a real coming out uh, event for her. Yeah, and she's still just uh, 21 years old. This was uh, someone I think on the radar a few years ago as a potential phenom and looks like she's definitely putting it together, especially this this past week, uh, the, the tennis she played in Ostrava. So a name to watch for, a tournament to watch for women's side. I mean, this is such a stacked field for anybody who's looked across the San Diego Open and the players that are coming to this event. One of the best um, we've had late in the season. Iga Spiontek is competing. We'll have Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula back in action. Sabalenka is there. Maria Sakkari, Paula Bedosa, Danielle Collins, Garbina Muguruza, Elena Rybakina is playing. Caroline Garcia, the semifinalist at the U.S. Open, is playing. And Bianca Andrescu, Leila Annie Fernandez playing their uh, first event post-U.S. Open as well. Like, what a tournament out in California. Not too shabby, eh? Like, uh, maybe we should see if we get some cheap flights down there <laughs> right. and uh, play hooky from work here up in Canada because... Uh... Yeah, that's absolutely uh, stellar. And uh, there's only so many tournaments left on the women's side. I mean, I haven't taken a look at at a fish. Do you know how many are left? I'm not sure. But this time of the year is always pretty sparse. Yeah, the, it's uh, it's women's tour. it's slowing down a lot. Um, and and even in November, uh, although there will be a couple, they're all 125ks for the WTA. So really, uh, I mean, the WTA finals start 
October 31st. So for a lot of players, I think there's going to be just this one. And, you know, Guadalajara is the following week at WTA 1000. And then that's going to be it for, for most of like the top players, really. What a shame. It's not enough for me. I wish there was more women's tennis this time of year. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, looking at this draw, holy smokes. And I know we're releasing this episode on, what, Wednesday this week. But uh, there are some fantastic opening round matches that could be finals in some tournaments. And you'd walk away really happy about it. So, you know, hopefully we can see some good stuff from Layla Annie and Bianca. Um, great to have them both back playing. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a nice little segue to the fact that we're going to see them both playing together before the end of this year in international competition as our Billie Jean King cup here in Canada was recently announced for the tie in Scotland, November 8th to 13th, if memory serves Mm -hmm. correctly. And uh, this to me is the strongest Canadians women's squad that I think we've ever seen in international play. Well, it has to be right. You look at Leila, Annie Fernandez, Bianca Andrescu, Gabby Dabrowski, Rebecca Marino, Carol Zhao. Um, first of all, just the star power on the front front end, having your U.S. Open 2019 champion and a U.S. Open finalist, Bianca and Layla, um, teaming up here to lead the singles, you know, side of things, and then having a, a Grand Slam champion in mixed doubles and Gabby Dabrowski. She's so pivotal, I think, for doubles. Rebecca Marino, we know the amazing tennis she's produced this season. She's back inside the top 80 and playing great. And then Carol Zhao, I think, is is going to be nicely available in case there's any issues with injury. You need a fill-in, someone to plug a hole there at, at this tournament. For But without a doubt, this has to be the most stacked roster we've ever brought to this event internationally. And I don't think we've had Bianca and Layla Annie both on the squad at the same time. If it no. ever did happen, it would have been when Layla Annie was so young that she was maybe there as like a hitting partner or something. I want to, you know, take a guess on that one. But to have both of them, you know, to me, in my mind, they're both top 20 players. Bianca, for me, it's just a matter of time before she gets back there. Mm-hmm. I, I think Canada, this roster gives us as good a combination in both singles and doubles as as almost any nation out there. Um Layla Annie and Bianca in singles, obviously. Dabrowski in doubles, maybe with Marino, maybe with, maybe with Layla, Layla a lot of Annie. A lot also, of options. Maybe, right? There are options there. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty stoked to see what they can do. You know, knock on wood, fingers crossed that everyone stays healthy between now and then. Um, but this roster to me looks like absolute fire. So I'm I'm pretty stoked to see what they can do. Yeah, I think it's a formidable team. I wouldn't say they're going to be the favorites to come away with a title or anything. Actually, the American team uh, should be particularly strong as well. Daniel Collins, Pagula, I th- I want to say Coco Goff is confirmed there as well. So if that is the case, and then we know how good how well Goff and Pagula play doubles together, that would be a very stacked team. Um, Czech Republic has produced amazing results at Billie Jean King Cup in the finals in the past. So um, there will be some deep teams here, but Canada, you know, rightfully so, women's and men's side are, are contenders now, and uh, we're, we're getting used to that. And I feel like these Canadian women are going to have something to prove. Like Bianca, you know, is just itching to have a great result this year. And Layla mm-hmm. Annie, who's coming back, you know, still somewhat recently from that foot injury, you know for sure she's not satisfied with what the results have been so far, even though from an outsider's perspective, it would have been hard to imagine anything more given her lack of match play. So I feel like both of them are going to be coming in super, super hungry. Gabby's been playing uh, her best doubles of the year with recent wins with a multitude of partners, Juliana almost. And then Luisa Stefani. So, you know, throw another one in there, no matter who it is on the Canadian squad. And, you know, Gabby's going to be adaptable. 
Um, and you were telling me before we sat down to record that there's some good news with uh, Gabby Dabrowski to share as well. Yeah, and it really shouldn't be surprising, but Gabby Dabrowski and Juliana Olmos, who've uh, won a couple of titles this season, they'll debut as a team at the season-ending WTA Finals um, come early November. So we've seen Gabby compete at the WTA Finals before, but now alongside Juliana Olmos, amazing opportunity for, for both players. And, you know, they have been... I wouldn't say the best doubles team in the world, uh, but they're certainly up there with their consistency. We've seen how how strong Gabby has been playing through uh, the summer into fall, teaming up both with almost to get a title and Luisa Stefani uh, to win a title. So a great opportunity to be among the very best at the end of your tournament. Yeah, and with Billie Jean King Cup coming up later this uh, this fall and uh, Davis Cup as well, we're definitely hoping to have some players from uh, both squads on Matchpoint Canada to mm-hmm. talk to and and share their thoughts heading into both those events. And, uh, you know, of course, again, this week, our thanks to Vashik Pospisil for t- taking the time to join us. He's been so busy traveling a lot. You know, we're in a different time zone right now. So we do thank him for for making the time to check in with us. And uh, great to have him back too this week. Yeah, definitely. And thank you guys for making the time to always listen to us. We're glad we're getting some coverage uh, continuing through the fall season. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.